As we read the Gospels, we see how Jesus was so committed to pray. And in John chapter 17, we find the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the New Testament, sometimes called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus, and it really focuses on finishing the work that the Father had given to Him. We're going to look at the first five verses today, uh, finishing the work of salvation. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this marvelous prayer of of Jesus as he prays to you, O Father, and uh, the hour that had come, that time in, in history when, when Jesus would give His life on the cross for our sins. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, teach us uh, from Your Word this morning. Uh, thank You that Jesus' work is finished. Uh, he paid that price. And we can rejoice in the forgiveness that is offered uh, by faith in, in Christ alone. These things we pray in His name. Amen. If you've ever watched some of the remodeling shows on television, uh, you may have watched one where uh, uh, someone started the work but never really got it finished. And it may have sat there for many months, even years, and so someone had to come in and finish what had been started. I guess it's fairly easy to start something, but it's another thing to to finish what is started. And, And some of the things that we start... Uh, but never finished, really aren't that important. Really, I mean, if I start cleaning the garage and I don't quite finish, that's, that's not an earth-shaking thing. But if I'm putting a new roof on and I'm putting new shingles on and I don't finish the job, that can be a problem. Especially last night with all the rain that we got. Uh, you, need to, you need to finish what you start if you're doing something important like a shingling a roof. We could be grateful that Jesus finished what He started. The Father had work for Him to do, and Jesus completed it. At verse 4, He said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given Me to do. Now, I'd suggest to you there are two things we learn about the finished work of Jesus in this prayer, these five verses. Notice, first of all, that Jesus finished the work according to the time of the Father. Many years ago, my father was out for evangelistic services, kind of an area-wide group of services. And, and he and another pastor stayed at a home where the man of the house had scheduled their itinerary down to the very minute, literally. My father was told, you use the bathroom for 15 minutes from 7 o'clock to 7.15 
And then the other pastor, you go to the bathroom from 7.15 to 7.30. We'll meet at 7.35 for devotions. We'll have breakfast at 8. And then we will leave at 8.40 to go to the first session at 9 o'clock. I mean, it was clockwork. It was down to the minute. And everybody in the house learned, you follow this man's timetable. Now, it's possible to be, I suppose, a little extreme when it comes to a time schedule. But there's something to be said about the use of time and doing things at the proper time. I remember when I was interviewed to enter seminary, I was asked by one question this pastor. He said, Peter, can you tell time? And I was just like, well, yeah, I think I learned that in grade school. He said, good. Because he said, there will be times when you said you're going to meet someone at this place or you've scheduled a meeting at this time. It is important that you be there. Respect their time. And I've never forgotten that. That was important. As Jesus carried out his earthly ministry, he was very conscious of the Father's timetable. No one was going to rush him. No one was going to delay him. Jesus was committed not just to do what the Father had asked him to do, but to do it according to the time that the Father had determined it to be done. Jesus was completely and perfectly obedient to the Father. There's no place in the New Testament where this is clearer than in the Gospel of John. And if you follow his his writing through, you will see two very distinct sections of the book in terms of the Father's timing. Chapters 1 through 11, uh, John uh, repeatedly mentions how Jesus said the time has not yet come. For example, John chapter 2, Jesus is, is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and they run out of wine, and so Jesus' mother comes and says to him, you know, they don't, they don't have any wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Chapter 7, uh, Jesus is being ridiculed by his own brothers. They're saying, why don't you just go and, and, and show everyone? Uh, no one who, who does anything in secret when he seeks to be known publicly, if you do these things, then, and show the world. And then John says, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. John chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with some of the Pharisees. And he says, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So all of these verses illustrate that Jesus was perfectly committed to the time of the Father. He knew the proper time for the Father's work to be done and He would not attempt to rush ahead. But then we come to chapter 12 of John and this all changes. Jesus begins to make it clear that the hour has come. John 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Chapter 12, verse 7, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. And all throughout that section, you find that that distinct change. Now it's come. The hour has come. The time for the offering of Jesus on the cross in accordance with the Father's timetable has come. 
So when we come to this prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, it isn't surprising that the first thing Jesus mentions in his prayer is this timing. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Everything Jesus did was according to the Father's timetable. Now you can understand why Jesus prays about this. The hour that he is about to face was the most difficult hour of his life. And we're not talking about literally an hour, but a time period here. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, how difficult this time was. Jesus sweat drops of blood. And He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. We see it in His trial. He was beaten so severely. It's a wonder He survived. Uh, Some men actually died from being scourged. We see this on the cross, the crown of thorns, the nails in His hands and feet. And you add to that all the spiritual suffering of being forsaken by the Father because of our sin. It's no wonder Jesus prayed. He said, Father, it's come. The hour has come. All that history was pointing forward to with all the prophecies and all the sacrifices. Father, the hour has come. Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. And so that time of suffering, He knew what would it be. be. And so He prays to the Father. This was the Father's time for, for Jesus to finish the work that He was given to do. And Jesus willingly finished it. Jesus was not a victim. His life wasn't taken from Him. Jesus gave His life. When the time of the Father had come, He laid down His life. Just like He told His disciples. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. I read a story about an infant girl who was very, very severely injured. And she had lost a great amount of blood and needed a blood transfusion, but there was no one there with with that rare blood type except her seven-year-old brother who had the same blood type. So the doctor took this seven-year-old boy into his office and he explained to him, he said, your sister is, is very, very sick and she needs blood and you have the type of blood that she needs and, and you can help her. Otherwise, if you don't, She'll probably die. Are you willing to give your blood to your baby sister? He asked him. The young boy's face turned pale. His eyes widened with with fright and uncertainty. And just appeared to be in in great mental agony until finally he hath whispered, Yes, I will. So the doctor smiled and said, That's a fine boy. I, I knew you would. And so as the boy watched the blood flowing through the tube, he got more and more apprehensive. And the doctor said, Don't be nervous, son. It will all be over before long. At that moment, tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, Will I die pretty soon? Will I die? This little boy thought that by giving blood to his little sister, he was going to die. 
But he was willing in his mind to give his life for the one that he loved, that little sister of his. You see, that's what Jesus did. He willingly gave up his life so that you and I might live and we can be eternally grateful that Jesus was willing to lay down his life. At the time of the Father, Jesus finished the work according to the time of the Father. Father, the hour has come. Now glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So there's a second thing we learn. Jesus finished the work not only according to the time of the Father, but He finished the work for the glory of the Father. As you read through this prayer, you can't help but notice how many times the word glory or glorify are found in this prayer. We find that word eight times in this prayer, and five of them are in the first five verses. So I'm going to be Captain Obvious and suggest that's probably an important word. huh? When it's mentioned over and over again, it's obvious for emphasis that Jesus died for the glory of the Father. So what is this work that Jesus was given to How does this work bring glory to the Father? Well, if you think about it, the work that Jesus was given to do includes everything that was needed for our salvation. Everything. It includes His birth in Bethlehem. Jesus had to become a man in order to save us. Hebrews 2, verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And verse 17, Therefore He had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Christmas is important. It is vital. Because that is when Jesus took on human flesh. That is when He became like us. Without the incarnation, there would be no hope for our salvation. So, His birth certainly was needed to save us. The work that Jesus was given to do includes His perfect obedience to the law of God. The justice of God requires that His law be obeyed and Jesus did that for us. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. Theologians call this His vicarious obedience or His obedience on our behalf or in our place. Romans 5.19 says, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So as believers in Jesus, our righteousness is not our own. It's not any kind of self-effort to try and make ourselves better. The righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Jesus, given to us by faith because He perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law of God. That's why Luther calls that righteousness an alien righteousness. It's not natural to us. It comes from another world comes from Jesus, part of our salvation. 
The work that Jesus was given to do obviously includes the cross. It was there that Jesus died as our substitute. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. We're the unjust. Jesus is the just one, but He took our place. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And that work that Jesus was given also includes His resurrection. It includes His ascension. It includes His second coming to transform our bodies and bring us to heaven. It was a lot of work to bring us salvation. But Jesus completed the task. In verse 4, He says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So why did Jesus do that? Why was He willing to to leave the the glories of heaven to, to come to a sinful world, to hunger and thirst and experience pain and suffer and die for us? I think we can give two answers to that. One obvious answer is that Jesus came because He loved us. He loved us so much He was willing to give His life for us. Galatians 2.20 Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Ephesians 5.2, Paul says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it has nothing to do with us being lovable. It's not that God looked down and said, You know, these people are so wonderful. They are so lovable. I just can't help it. I want them on my team. No. God looked down. What did He see? Sinful, rebellious people. But He chose to love us. In spite of what we are, in spite of what we've done, He loves us. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. But Jesus deals with another reason in this prayer. He came to this earth to save us for the glory of the Father. Notice how often this is mentioned in our text. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Verse 4, I glorified You on the earth, having accomplished the work which You have given Me to do. Verse 5, Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. Everything Jesus did on the earth revealed the Father's glory. That's because Jesus is, according to Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And so as you follow Jesus' life and ministry, you see how He constantly revealed the glory of the Father. When He healed the sick, He revealed the glory of God's power and mercy. When He forgave sins, He revealed the glory of God's grace. 
When He confronted evil, He revealed the glory of God's justice. When He washed the disciples' feet, He revealed the glory of God's love. And that's why Jesus told Philip in John 14.9, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. He who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, if you've seen Me? You've seen the glory of the Father. So everything that Jesus did in His life and ministry revealed the Father's glory. But the ultimate expression of that is through the cross. He revealed how gracious and how merciful God is in His willingness to forgive those who have rebelled against Him. Who would ever give His Son for those who did not love Him but God? So those of us who are saved, we see God's glory through the cross, don't we? We stand amazed that God would actually sacrifice His Son, that He would actually pour out His grace on sinners like we are. I think of what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, And not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove me. So we who know the Lord, we look at the cross and we say, God, this reveals Your your glory in such a powerful way that You would be willing to give Your Son for me. Why? Why? I don't fully grasp, fully understand that gracious gift. Through the cross, God also reveals His glory to the world. I love Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship. Love that word. Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You know that word workmanship? It was used to describe a work of art like a statue, or a song, or architecture, or a poem, or a painting. F.F. Bruce translates it this way, We are His work of art. His masterpiece. Think of it. We are God's masterpiece. Those who know Jesus, we are a work of art. He is creating in us and through us. A beautiful masterpiece. So when people see us, they see the glory of God through the masterpiece that He has created. So as the world watches us, they see the the transforming work of God in our lives. Chipping away. (laughs) Sculpting us. Shaving off the rust edges. Polishing us. That's what we call sanctification. That's an ongoing process until the day that Jesus comes again. He ain't done with us yet. But you know what? There's another group to whom God reveals His glory through what He has done for us. And maybe it's one you haven't thought about. Through the cross, God reveals His glory to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ so that 
the manifold wisdom of God now might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So God is saying something to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place by what He's doing through the church, through we who know the Lord. In most places in the New Testament, uh, rulers and authorities refers to the, the good angels, the ministering spirits. But in one place it refers to, to evil angels, to demons. So to the entire spirit, spirit world, Jesus is revealing His glory through the lives of you and I who know Him. This masterpiece, this work of art, this workmanship that Jesus is creating is showing all of creation. His glory, that He could take people like you and I, transform us in such a marvelous way that Jesus would say to the angels and the demons, look what I've done. Look at this. This is my church. This is my body. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this. We are His workmanship. Ephesians 5 Verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Why? So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Why? That He might present to Himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. God is in the process of creating a masterpiece. And one day that masterpiece will be complete. His church will be glorious. No stain. Nothing to uh, uh, mar it in any way. And that will bring glory and praise to Him. Have you ever created a masterpiece? There's something you made that you look at and say, no, that is great. That is wonderful. I, I thought that when I was in high. We made a bow for shooting an arrow. Got a block of wood and cut it out, you know. And then we had these, these uh, fiberglass pieces that we glued together. We put it in this mold and, and then we sanded it and we cut the edges for the strings and and all that, and, and stained it, and put polyurethane coat on it. And I looked at, I looked at that, and I thought, that is awesome. <laughs> that is a masterpiece. The only problem was that I was the only one that thought it was a masterpiece. No one else thought it was a masterpiece. And when I shot it for the first time, guess what? It broke. I thought, it wasn't that great of a... A masterpiece. I ended up throwing it away with great tears, great pain. All this work, this masterpiece, so I thought, really wasn't a masterpiece at all. I ended up throwing it away. The masterpiece that Jesus is creating isn't going to be thrown away. It is an eternal masterpiece. And all of creation... We'll see what a glorious thing it is that He has created in His church. And as we stand before Him one day, we will be perfected. We will be like Jesus. 
And we will be a testimony throughout all eternity, through all the ages. that This was the work of Jesus. He had nothing to do with that. It was His work that He completed, that He finished. Providing salvation for us. So let me ask you today, are you part of this masterpiece? Does your life belong to Jesus? Is He in that process of of conforming you to the image of His Son? You can be His workmanship today. You can be His masterpiece. And Jesus tells us how in this prayer, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's simple, isn't it? Where do we find life? It's in Jesus. It's in knowing Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to come to Him today. He has done everything that is needed for you to be saved. When He said it is finished, there's nothing more you can add to that masterpiece, to that work of salvation, to that price that He paid for you on the cross. It is finished. Jesus has finished the work of salvation. And for that, we offer Him our praise today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for that work that You did for us, coming to this earth, taking on human flesh, living in obedience to the law of God, fulfilling it on our behalf, and then coming to that place, to that hour, where You offered Your life on the cross where you cried out, it is finished. Lord Jesus, that is our hope today. That is our living hope because of what you have done, your death and resurrection in our behalf. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. We pray in your name. Amen.